This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Corey Rosenbush, President and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with TFI's Corey Rosenbush next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Global competition and consolidation are no strangers to the fertilizer industry. Corey Rosenbush, president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute, says they represent a diverse group of manufacturers and retailers of crop nutrients to farmers. The fertilizer industry represents companies through all elements of the fertilizer supply chain. Uh, We have members that range all the way from the large manufacturers. Some examples would be CF Industries, uh, Nutrien, Mosaic. Uh, and I would say how that's evolved with agriculture over the years is that we've diversified that representation to include a lot of wholesalers, importers, traders, uh, and especially retailers, as many of the companies have uh, become vertically integrated. Uh, we represent all of their various uh, interests. We're really excited at the beginning of this year. We announced the uh, uh, joining of forces with a, a group called the Biostimulant Coalition, so their 20-plus members that manufacture biostimulant products are now uh, part of the Fertilizer Institute, and it represents kind of the, the next generation of fertilizer technology. We have seen an appreciation in fertilizer prices this spring, uh, just as commodity prices uh, have moved up. Is this a supply and demand situation, or what are some of the challenges that you're facing now? It's really important for everyone to remember that um, there are many global supply and demand factors that come into play, and this is not an uncommon challenge that we see every spring. Uh, planting season uh, rolls around, and, and we do, um, you know, when you look back over the history, uh, see those that 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 uh, increase in in prices. Now, as an association, we try to stay very distant from talking about about prices, but uh, I will say that just referencing the global. Uh, commodity situation again with the United States only being 12% of the total fertilizer market. Uh, we just have to remember that the supply and demand on a global scale, what happens in India, what happens in Brazil does have a big impact on prices available to the U.S. farmer, to fertilizer prices for the U.S. farmer. The other really interesting, um, economic model to look at is that fertilizer prices pretty much track corn prices. Uh, you can go back the last 40 years and and almost see how closely it aligns with corn prices. And, of course, we know what's going on with global corn prices right now. And uh, being a very strong fall with very strong um, prices for corn, that obviously is going to lead into uh, higher input prices as farmers have uh, more income 
They're gonna they're gonna invest in what's gonna give them even better yields for the future, and so that's gonna uh, increase demand, and thus that's why you see the classic supply demand impact on prices. From a raw supply standpoint, is there an adequate supply on the globe? Yeah, we have a we definitely are our, our uh, fertilizer manufacturer members are committed and and do have that supply available. Uh, I think as you get into spring and and what we hear out there as we're talking to some farmers or perhaps even to retailers is not a, a supply challenge as much as it is a supply chain challenge. We really encourage farmers to plan in advance, work really closer closely with their ag retailer to indicate what their needs are early, as in in the fall, for what their needs are going to be in the spring. Because the logistics is often what we find to be the critical factor when it comes time to that spring planning season, which is a very condensed few weeks where you have to get those inputs into the ground quickly. And so as we, as we may see some people experiencing, uh, you know, the inability to get a certain nutrient at this point, it's not because it's available. It's just it might not be in the right place at the right time. And so that supply chain and, and shifting that kind of just-in-time mentality is so critical to make sure that supply is there when it's needed. A lot of talk here lately with the new administration and the emphasis on climate and climate policy, uh, shifting to more electric vehicles. Electric vehicles use electricity, and a lot of that is made with natural gas. Coincidentally, so is nitrogen fertilizer. How big is the the natural gas market to nitrogen fertilizer? Um, I love this question, Jeff, because it really shows you how circular our economies are. Um, natural gas is the uh, primary feedstock for manufacturing nitrogen fertilizer, and so a strong natural gas uh, industry is critical to farmers. Uh, at the same time, nitrogen is one of the biggest uh uh, factors in uh, corn yields, and and of course, a third of all the corn grown in the United States uh, goes into ethanol production. So um, it, it's it's fun to talk here in D.C. and and uh, with consumers and and the general um, industry about how tied each of these energy sectors are to agriculture. Uh, so we do support and encourage uh, this administration to make sure that policies that encourage, um, uh, you know, our natural gas, gas production to, to continue because we need that um, for, for fertilizer and ultimately for farmers to grow enough food to feed the world. So let's think then about the story of sustainability. Obviously, the producer to be efficient is trying to raise more with less, and, and studies recently would suggest that we're doing a much better job of growing more with less. Are you seeing uh, technology as an innovator in your industry that could change the face of, of, uh, of, of crop nutrient management as we know it? Absolutely. Technology plays an important role. And, and this is an area where we've found some success so far in talking with the administration. As a matter of fact, last week uh, we had a nice conversation with uh, EPA Administrator Regan and, and encouraging EPA to ensure that there is a, uh, a path to market for some of the technologies because it ultimately will have 
uh, it will play a critical role in achieving some of the administration's climate change objectives. Um, and this is not just with with uh, innovative products such as a, a biostimulant or enhanced efficiency fertilizers or slow-release fertilizers, um, but also just with good stewardship practices. So uh, when you think about precision agriculture and a farmer's ability to use um, uh, TFI's uh, 4R stewardship model, which is looking at uh, the 4Rs, uh, the the right source of fertilizer applied at the right rate, time, and place is so critical to making sure we're being efficient and that that nutrient is being used by the crop and doesn't have a negative impact on the environment or water quality. Do your members have a story of sustainability to tell? Uh, we, we, uh, we love talking about sustainability. We think there's um, a lot that our industry has committed to, um, not only the environment, but being the sustainable, um, compa- sustainable companies. Uh, we produce every year a sustainability report, which highlights members' uh, ESG, uh, environmental, social, and governance uh, accomplishments. And so the most recent one we, we just released a few uh, months ago um, highlights, for example, greenhouse gas reduction, and 29% of all greenhouse gases produced by the industry last year were captured and not emitted. Um, We also have found that 41% of the total energy use reported uh, by our manufacturers was generated using waste heat. Uh, We saw a 53% decline in water use per ton of nitrogen fertilizer produced. So um, really great stories, great data that shows how committed our members are not only to best practices but investing in the technologies of producing fertilizers in a way that benefit the environment. I'd like to delve into technology for just a moment. It seems that the agriculture industry is focusing a lot more on the soil and particularly the microbial activity of the soil and building a positive environment there uh, for the roots of the plants that we have in the field. Is this a frontier for the nutrient industry as well? I think you will see this. You talk about um, M&A activity earlier, and it's fascinating to watch uh, the different brands, technologies, and products that perhaps traditional NP&K manufacturers are investing in. I highlighted earlier the uh, uh, joining of the Biostimulant Coalition under the TFI umbrella. And I think that's just a great uh, example of how committed a uh, what could be viewed as a very traditional NP&K uh, manufacturing industry is to those types of, um, of technologies. And so w- we don't necessarily see it as a um, uh, an and-or, um, you know, that it's going to replace NP&Ks in the future, but we just see it as part of a system where together applying both your, your uh, NP&Ks, your micronutrients, your biostimulants, all working together are going to produce the, um, uh, the, uh, the healthy soils that will continue to feed the planet. Moving inside the Beltway, the HELP Act is done, and now uh, clearly the Biden administration with an announcement over the past few days uh, is focusing on infrastructure and infrastructure that may include climate. Right now, let's talk about infrastructure. Uh, you have nutrients that need to move to the fields, and the fields are all across the United States. 
if you had the ear of the White House or you had the ear of appropriators, what are the places you'd like to see funds applied to our various uh, means of in- infrastructure in the country? Well, we, we do care a lot about infrastructure, and this was one of our top six uh, priority areas. Um, we want to make sure that we have policies that promote competition among all of the modes of transportation. So, for example, uh, about half of all fertilizer moves by rail, about 56%. Um, also, a third of all the fertilizer in the U.S. will move by barge. So we want to make sure that, um, you know, the rail options and the marketplace for using rail is fair. Um, we want to make sure that Congress is investing um, in infrastructure, in particular our inland waterways. Uh, I was out visiting uh, a member in Illinois, and they had to bring in uh, a large quantity of, of uh, nutrients on barges uh, last summer, before uh, major construction was started on that waterway, which would have blocked uh, their access to product for months. And so we love that there there are these uh, maintenance projects going on. Uh, there's a huge backlog, and anything that Congress can do to continue to invest in that infrastructure is very important. I will also add that um, uh, pipelines are important. Obviously, there was a lot of attention around the Biden administration's um, uh, move with the Keystone Pipeline, uh, about 65% of the ammonia in the United States will move by pop- pipeline. And uh, we, do, we do expect that will probably decline in the future, but all elements of infrastructure and investing in, in ensuring there's a fair competitive market for that movement will be so important because it's that logistics cost that has such a big impact on that price to farmers um, uh, in the future. So if we aren't going to see climate as a part of infrastructure, and in fact, last week on this program, Illinois Congresswoman Sherry Busto says she believes that climate will be an underlying part of nearly every single thing that this 117th Congress is going to do. Is there a climate angle that TFI uh, either, A, certainly wants to see, or one that perhaps you would frown on? Well, it's a good question. I, I agree there will definitely be an attempt. Um, I think w- we do uh, view that there will be a lot of challenge uh, challenges to Congress having any meaningful climate legislation, and so therefore all of that will have to be tucked into um, other pieces of legislation. I, I was up visiting um, with a member, a uh, con- member of Congress that serves on the T&I committee, getting a readout of their meeting uh, at the White House. And uh, you probably read about this, but there was a, a pretty big uh, voice uh, saying, do not make a infrastructure bill, which is our one chance at some bipartisan legislation, become uh, a new Green Deal uh, bill. And so I, I think that that is a very accurate viewpoint. We do, however, see... Um, that the new administration will utilize executive order um, rulemaking to enforce or to, to put into play a lot of their climate change uh, agenda. And so what we've tried to do is engage with a lot of the agencies. Um, you can go read the Climate 21 project that the, the Biden team put together, and it gives you their roadmap. 
Um, I think our posture is we want to find opportunities where we can deliver solutions. And we think the fertilizer industry has an opportunity uh, to be a solution in many of these cases. So whether that's um, um, good farming practices that are stewards uh, of the land, to uh, carbon markets, to some of the, the technologies that we discussed earlier, um, that's what we want to highlight. And I think that's what um, uh, we want to put forward. Um, I think one one area that we will be uh, very insistent on is that um, we are considered a uh, energy intensive, um, trade exposed uh, industry from a manufacturing standpoint. So any policies that are considered uh, will absolutely have to take in, into account uh, that that energy intensive, trade exposed nature of what we do. Because what we don't want to see is that manufacturing be offshored, for example, to China, which will not use natural gas to manufacture nitrogen, but would use a, a coal uh, methodology and, and really result in uh, a more negative impact on the environment. So um, we, we believe that, that we, can, we can manufacture fertilizer in a way that does achieve these climate goals uh, without punishing companies with policies that would essentially make them unable to, to operate their businesses here in the United States. How important that the regulatory effort from Washington remain voluntary as opposed to a heavier hand that would come from those regulations? You know, it's a great question. Not all regulations are bad. Um, I, I will use CFATS, the Chemical Facility Security uh, Legislation, uh, as an example um, our members don't mind regulation. They just want it to be consistent, and they want to be able to account on it. What, what, what's difficult for them from a business planning standpoint is to have constantly involve, evolving and changing regulations. Um, if it's a moving target, <laughs> that's what makes it difficult for them to operate. And so not all regulation is bad. At the same time, we don't want... Uh, regulation that is going to somehow harm their competitiveness. And so um, we have a very strong fertilizer industry in the United States, and we want to make sure that we are able to uh, rely upon fertilizer that, um, that is, that's manufactured here and available to the farmers. And uh, we will be monitoring very closely um, all of the administration's uh, rulemaking processes uh, right now, one of the one of the most uh, critical ones is uh, related to phosphate production. Um, as some may know, a byproduct of phosphate production is phosphogypsum, um, which is traditionally used in roadbed construction around the world. But here in the United States, we're required um, by regulation to stack them into what we call gyp stacks. And so, uh, we were very fortunate at the end of the Trump administration to get the opportunity to reuse that phosphogypsum in a positive way in, in roadbed construction. Um, that's now being challenged. And then on top of that, additional um, petitions have been put forward that would actually try to stop the entire use of uh, gyp stacks altogether, which would essentially uh, decimate the entire phosphate um, manufacturing industry in the United States. So, that would be an example of the kind of regulations that we do not want to see. And I think what we're asking for from this administration are two things. One, um, 
you know, give us an open door. So make sure you're communicating with the industry so that you know the facts. And two, let's make science-based decisions um, so, so that we're uh, using sound science and hard data when we're formulating uh, regulations. Uh, one other area I feel that we should address is that of your industry and of safety. You've been some very challenging uh, stories that have happened over a period of time. Uh, what do you hope for from Washington, and and how have you worked to police yourself and make uh, your your industry and your plants safer for your employees and the communities that they uh, that that they reside. Jeff, that's a fantastic question. I think it is so critical that with everything going on in Washington, D.C., we don't lose the fact that um, each of our members' companies' number one priority is still safety, safety of their employees, but also safety of the communities in which they operate. And, um, you know, as a, as a prime example, um, in, in the last year, the industry safety performance was the best it's been since 2013 for recordable incidences, which is a, a tracking measure that the Department of Labor and OSHA used. And we still find that we're two times safer uh, when you look at that data uh, than our, our industry peers. Um, but security is a big part of that story as well, and we work very closely with DHS. Um, you're probably familiar with our Responsible Ag Program based uh, out of Owensboro, Kentucky, with the Asmark Institute that, that the Ag Retailer Association and TFI operates. And uh, we've completed over 3,000 audits uh, of more than 1,300 facilities to, um, to really demonstrate uh, that that our member companies are committed to operating their facilities with safety and security at the top of mind. And I think a, a prime example um, of all of that, really, is just the um, the essential nature in, in working with DHS and, and how critical they saw we were with communities during COVID uh, when when we were faced with, uh, faced with the question of which businesses got to remain open and running and which ones didn't. And I'm just really pleased that uh, that essential nature of what we did was recognized. Well, Corey Rosenbush, we want to congratulate you on your one-year anniversary to be at the Fertilizer Institute. We want to also thank you for taking time at a very busy spring uh, to visit with us here on this edition of Open Mic. Corey, it is Open Mic, and today you have the last word. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure uh, to be with you today, Jeff. Uh, I just want to say I'm really proud to be here, glad to have celebrated one year. Uh, I grew up son of an ag teacher. I love agriculture, and it's great to be back in the agriculture industry and more specifically in the fertilizer industry, uh, contributing more than $130 billion annually to the U.S. economy. And without fertilizer, about half of the world's food production wouldn't be possible. So uh, it's great to be part of the that important role of making sure that 9.5 billion people will be fed by the year 2050. Our thanks to TFI President and CEO Corey Rosenbush, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.